Welcome to Be The One. I'm Aaron. And I'm Vani. And we want you to be the one to understand that love heals. And I Understand is a nonprofit organization that supports those who lost a loved one to death by suicide or struggle with a mental health illness. And I'm really excited to have our guest, Alec, today from Sanford House. Hi, Vani. How's it going today? It's going pretty good. So tell us a little bit about Sanford. So Sanford is a 30-bed residential addiction treatment center. Uh, so we deal with different individuals dealing with opioid uh, disorders, uh, uh, alcohol disorders, and, and really anything that involves uh, substances. So what, what we try to do is work with individuals during this hard time that they're going through and really try to give them the tools in their toolbox to maintain a life of sobriety. And so we also have a intensive outpatient center uh, and so we serve individuals on all different levels of care in regards to substance use disorders. And how many people do you see typically in a year? In a year we probably see upwards of over 300 people. It kind of depends um, because of that outpatient aspect, uh, it really allows people to come in maybe before they're waving the white flag, as we like to say, and be able to combat that um, issue earlier on in the stages of addiction rather than getting down and drinking every day, all day long, but maybe somebody that uh, just on occasion drinks too much. And, and that's what we'd be considering misuse. And I think that there's this um, stigma associated with addiction that you need to be lying down in, in a gutter and having issues to go into treatment, and you really don't. Um, we want to hit it more on the, the front end and be able to help individuals that maybe are, are struggling and, and trying to uh, make sure they don't lose those family relationships before it gets too bad. Alec, can you tell us what the early stages look like? So the, the early stages really look like when an individual is misusing, but not necessarily using when they wake up in the morning. They aren't um, having uh, what we would consider withdrawal symptoms when stopping, but it's something where their drinking is affecting their family and their loved ones, and it's only going to continue to get worse. And this is because addiction is a, a chronic brain disease, and, and I think we really need to recognize that. And it's important to look at these early stages and identify that misuse and be able to uh, wave what we call kind of the pink flag rather than the white flag and go in and be able to work with that person and meet them where they're at. Alec, how does this affect the family? Like what type of misuse? What am I looking for within my family yeah. for, the, for the pink flag? Yeah, of course. And so. What we would consider that is, is maybe hiding their, their drinking or their using, um, lying about the amount that they have used, and maybe it's also kind of where you're not seeing that same person that you loved because they're focused on one thing and that's using, whether it's opioids, alcohol, or, or any other drugs. But 
we really, it's, it's a tough thing, Vani, because a lot of people can be very creative within their addiction. And so you're not always going to be able to identify it initially. And I think that's the really tough thing that we're dealing with. So then what are the steps to get our loved one into treatment? Yeah. And I think the, that it, it, that's a really good question. And, and there's a couple ways to, to answer that. And I think it depends on uh, how they're going to get that treatment, whether it's through insurance or using private pay methods. So really, you, you start by what I suggest to people mostly is looking on the back of your insurance card and calling that 1-800 number that, that is for your mental health benefits. And that's going to be able to get you on the phone with somebody that's going to be able to introduce you to places in your area that are going to be able to help you with that substance use disorder. Um, but as well, sometimes people don't have insurance or uh, another problem is maybe their insurance doesn't cover mental health benefits, which, which we do see, which is actually a, a direct violation of the Mental Health Parity Act of 2008. And so what we also need to do is ensure that our payers and our insurance companies are following this act. Um, because I can tell you right now that they are not in the state of Michigan in some cases. And, and it's a really big issue. And it was only in 2008 that we passed this act, but we really need to get on the forefront and start helping these individuals get direct access to care uh, because I think the, the hard piece right now is getting people into care. What is a Parity Act? Yes, so the Mental Health Parity Act, it is a act that was passed and what they're saying is that uh, individuals with mental health disorders, substance use disorders, should be able to make, uh, get the same benefits as somebody with a physical ailment. So if I have a, a chronic condition such as diabetes, asthma, anything like that, I should be treated the same for my mental health disorder. So oftentimes when there's substance abuse involved, there's a lot of denial. We all know that stigma is the number one reason why people don't seek help. Are you seeing stigma affecting people to come into the treatment center and, and ask for and receive the help that they need? Yes, most definitely. I think it's a, a huge issue and I think that's really where our partnership with I Understand and Sanford Addiction Treatment Center stems from is really trying to show individuals that it's, it's okay to have a mental health disorder. Personally, I've had one, and I think that the more that individuals that do have mental health disorders come out and talk about it, that's the key. Because when you see some other strong individual talking about it, it's going to make you more inclined to do that. And I think we're seeing a little bit more of that these days, too, like on Twitter and how it affects them. One thing I did want to bring up is, can you talk really quickly about how addiction and depression kind of interlink because I think that's a very important and very strong connection. No, most definitely. And I, I'd like to start out by saying the, that 90% um, of individuals who die by suicide have a mental health or substance use disorder. So I think that's the, the, the huge piece is, is uh, they will use the alcohol or opioid to help reduce that depression or take it away. And so that is why that, that statistic is there, is because co-occurring is something that, that is, is their hand in hand, really. Well, I think it's really interesting, you know, of that 90%, 
54% do not have a diagnosed mental health illness. So there's a lot of people that aren't diagnosed, yes. but they're still struggling. Yeah. And I think that's really important to know because sometimes we focus on the ones that are, you know, showing these these symptoms and these signs, but they're not getting help for it. Yeah. So then they turn to self-medication. Yeah. And I think that's really another thing is that we're considering these people quote unquote crazy when they're suffering from a mental health disorder. They're not crazy. They're just as normal as anyone else. And I think that's what we really need to identify within society. And we've had that discussion that if we looked at a mental health disorder, like you said, like diabetes, like cancer, it would completely change our perspective. You don't blame someone when they get cancer. You don't blame someone when they have this, this terrible disease that's been inflicted upon them. And I, I can speak from personal experience. Um, I very much, in the throes of my depression, used alcohol to self-medicate. With alcohol, you can, you can push the depression away. Like, it's never gone, but it's like, it's away. I don't feel bad. And then, of course, the next day you are hungover and it comes back even worse. And then you, you, it's that cycle of, I'm a terrible person, that flares your depression, and then you drink to get rid of that depression, and then you wake up the next day not knowing what you did, and you, you continue this cycle, and it just spirals down. And Alec, I mean, I, can you talk a little bit about that self-medicating with alcohol? And it's really counteractive because, because alcohol, alcohol is a, de is a, is a depression. depression. Yes. Yeah. So, so I think that's really that cycle that you're talking about is when the alcohol takes over and it is you you feel as if you have to or your brain is telling you okay in order to feel better i need to go and have that drink and it only just continually gets worse the more that you continue to utilize that as that crutch i want to take a quick deep dive into the stigma bonnie brought it up stigma is a huge part of the reason that people don't address this what can you tell us specifically about our state michigan with regards to stigma substance abuse yeah. So an interesting statistic that just came out in June is that the only about 20% uh, of individuals that are diagnosed with a substance use disorder in the state of Michigan receive treatment. So it really shows that, that the state of Michigan does not have the proper avenues for individuals receiving substance use disorder treatment. But as well, it's really through all different mental health disorders that, that they're not receiving treatment. We've seen a lot come out in the news lately about our need for more psychiatric care. And as well, we have a lack of psychiatrists in the state of Michigan as well. So what we're trying to do with fighting this stigma is also uh, allowing more access to care. So it's, it's really important, and, and I think that's what makes our relationship so awesome. What can someone do now? So you said access is still difficult. What can someone do now? I have, let's say I say, okay, I am drinking a little too much. I need to reach out and get help. I know we talked about kind of calling the number on the back of the insurance card, but let's say I don't want to just talk to that stranger. What can I do in my community, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, yeah. to get some help? Yeah, so I think in order to get help, we need to talk to individuals that are putting together these policies and these different laws that deal with um, combating the issue that we're talking about. And I think that uh, you know we need to ensure that 
our insurance plans have this coverage. And if they don't, we need, we need to get in touch with our insurer or really if, if they're not answering, which happens in some cases, we need to get in touch with, with the state and we need to tell them that we, we need this access to care. And I think it's such a, a hard thing for somebody to do when they're suffering from this disorder, which is also a reason why they're, they're not getting this care. If it sounds like many are counting on insurance to cover this treatment. And is that why it's so low? Because insurance is not covering it? Yes, that, that, is, the, that is the big reason. And I think that another, another reason is too, is, is we've, we've uh, become sort of a revolving door. And it's something that Sanford tries to, to fight against every day. But a lot of the insurers are coming in saying, well, you can do this for 6.2 days because that's what we want to pay for. And that's you know, going to give us less cost on that end, but we really can't treat somebody in residential for seven days. I can't tell, you know, the family of an opioid addict who was using a week ago, oh, he's fine now, but if he goes home, make sure he doesn't use the same amount because he's probably going to die. You know, th this is really serious stuff we're talking about, and it's going to only become more costly for these insurance companies because of this. And so, what, what it really actually has shown is that if you treat this person's substance use disorder or mental health disorder, that their, um, their costs for healthcare are going to go down. So we really need these insurance companies to combat this on the front end because it's actually gonna be advantageous to them to reduce their costs because their member is sober and healthy. And that's exactly why you know, we do preventative treatment. Insurance always pays for your preventative, your once a yearly physical, or once a year physical, because, hey, what's going on? And I know when I go into my physical, the whole, the, the mental illness portion is, have you been depressed lately? Have you had thoughts of suicide? Have you wanted to hurt yourself? Okay, thanks. And that's it. And how can we expect to catch anything when we're asking these questions, and I'm gonna tell you right now, people who are addicted, people who are depressed are lying on those questions. Mm -hmm. Oh, how often do you drink? I don't know, like once a week. Yeah, maybe once a day, twice a day. It's so important that we realize that Alec is absolutely right, that we do need to work with the state. We need to work with organizations to make mental health care more accessible. So let's say I am one of the 20% and I have insurance and my loved one is really struggling. They're in denial. What is that process of getting them into treatment when yeah. they don't want to go? Yeah, and I think that is one thing is, is when you have a substance use disorder, you must voluntarily go into treatment. So I know in some cases uh, with psychiatry, you can uh, force somebody to go in when, when they really have that need. But uh, substance use disorder is all voluntary. So I think one of the things to look at as uh, a family member is to help that individual realize they need that treatment. And sometimes it's putting up those barriers that you don't want to in order to force them to do it. And so I think first off and first and foremost is getting the family fully involved, which it sounds like in this scenario, that's the case. And, and so once they're involved, they have a lot of uh, force, I guess you could say, in making sure that individual follows through once they commit to, to that treatment. So actually at Sanford uh, Addiction Treatment Centers, we make sure that we uh, have the family involved right at the beginning, right at that admission. So once they're admitted, we actually, uh, in some cases, will require family sessions 
um, because the fam this is not a disease that just affects one person. It affects the whole family and, um, and whatever that family looks like, I guess, because uh, families have different ways of working together and maybe it's not your direct blood family, but, but people that you consider your family. And I think that's important for healthcare providers to recognize as well. But w once we do that, I think we have a really strong uh, force with getting that person sober. And how long is the average stay at Stanford House? So that's a, that's a, a good question, Vonnie, because it really depends on their need. So I, I don't have a, you know, if I look at statistics and that sort of thing and put all of these different clients together, I would say it's about 14 to 21 days for residential. But then there's also different middle levels of care before going directly into outpatient that you can go in. And that, that's called partial hospitalization or day treatment. So you'll go from residential to partial hospitalization, and then you'll be able to go down to the intensive outpatient center at Sanford because one of the important pieces is having that full continuum of care because you don't just go to residential treatment and get fixed. You have to really work on it. And some post-acute withdrawal symptoms don't leave for up to two years. So we actually have a year-long continuum and, and a piece of that year-long continuum is utilizing medication-assisted treatment, which in 2016, the Surgeon General came out and said, hey docs, we gotta start using this. This reduces cravings, and this is gonna help get people sober. And in some cases, these uh, medications can be controversial, um, just like other uh, psych medications that are coming out, such as ketamine and that sort of thing. And I think we need to be innovative and open to different ways of treating individuals. And I think medication-assisted treatment with therapy, with therapy, is uh, a really successful way to get somebody sober. One of the things that um, I, I've heard that come up with, with addiction is dual diagnosis. Can you talk a little bit about dual diagnosis? Yeah, of course. And, and dual diagnosis is, is really important in what we do because we can't just treat one thing. We can't go in and say, okay, although this person has depression, although they have anxiety, I'm only gonna treat their substance use disorder. It doesn't work that way. We have to deal with that co-occurring disorder. So at, at Sanford uh, and, and other places throughout the state, you know, we look at this person and we can't just treat that one thing. And we can't treat it in a one-size-fits-all manner because everybody's different and everybody's brain's different. And so really what, what we're looking at is uh, treating the whole individual and not the half of an individual. Do you feel like most have the dual diagnosis? Yes, and, and I was actually just talking to our nurse practitioner the other day, and she gave me a rough statistic of about over 90% of the people that come through our doors at Sanford Addiction Treatment Centers have a co-occurring disorder. Well, I really appreciate you being here, Alec, and our um, history goes back a little bit. I actually knew you when you were just a little yes. boy. I believe we met at the home opener of the Grand Rapids Griffins. Okay, so that was many years ago. <laughs> so Alec, that means that you also met my late husband who, yes. who has died from depression, and your dad actually was in Little League Yes, with my was. husband. So <laughs> we have a connection that goes way back. And once you and your family started Stanford House, I was so impressed with your willingness and dedication within the community to help people that are struggling and suffering. And Alec is a board member 
for I Understand, and he is wise beyond his years, and I'm so grateful to have the relationship that I have with you and your parents. You are just such a reminder of be the one. You know, be the one to help others realize that stigma is the number one reason why people don't seek out and be the one to help them get the treatment that they need. Yeah, no, no, most definitely. And, and one thing to just leave everyone that, that's listening to this with is, is we can make a difference because one thing we can understand is we're all stronger together. So let's continue to fight this stigma and ensure that individuals with mental health disorders are treated the same as individuals with physical ailments. So thank you so much for having me and I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Remember to be the one who listens and be the one who understands love heals. Oh